Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. It is so good to be with you today, and what an exciting time to wrap up our series, Believe Again. I hope you have been encouraged, I hope you have been challenged, and ultimately I hope our faith as a church and as individuals has been strengthened and has been stirred up, because the thing is about faith is that it starts as a seed. And you know what? If you don't water that seed, there will be no growth. And so the point of our faith journey is not just to start, it's to finish strong. And so one of the things about making sure that you go back on the podcast or the live stream to catch the sermons that are in the series that I want to encourage you about is because we are building our faith here. We are watering the seed that has been planted in us, and we are asking the Lord to strengthen our faith. We cannot predict the future. But we can do the work today to strengthen our faith to be able to face what is in the future. And so I don't know about you, but I am not a plant person in my house. I like fake plants. Uh, That's the kind of plant that I like. And so um, you won't come to my house with anything real. I know it's good for the air, but when you come to my yard, my heart is very much for it to be weed-free, and uh, which has turned out to feel impossible, okay? But I want it to be pretty. I want it to be nice, and I want to, you know, my rose bushes to grow pretty, and and I want uh, some trees to grow in the yard. And when we built our house, the builder pretty much took all the trees out, but I asked them to leave some and they're like on the side of the house so it's really not that helpful uh it doesn't make my house or my yard feel park like in any way shape or form so I want to you know plant some trees and in the communities around here we have something in every city that's called free tree day so here free tree day would come up time and time again and my friends would be like oh yeah it's free tree day and I'd be like out of town or whatever and I'm like oh I miss free tree day again and then all of a sudden about two years ago I caught free tree day and I grabbed two trees and um, one thing about me is I have really great intentions but (laughs) those trees were never going to get in the ground because I don't have really good follow-through when it comes to that kind of stuff especially if I'm just like trying to do it myself and so they you know inevitably died and ended up at the side of my house and into the trash eventually and so then the next year comes around last year and I caught free tree day again and I go grab my trees and then my husband to bless me uh, and my daughters decided to plant the trees so so kind of them but the one thing about my husband is he's not super detail oriented and so he doesn't know much about plants either and um, I had looked it up because I had had two trees and I was like okay how close do they need to be together and so I told him a a frame of reference and uh, (laughs) it was an actual inch and foot measurement and uh, he of course did not measure that amount and put them in the ground and said it was done and I'm not judging them they did a great job the fact is is they are planted okay they would never have been planted without them and so what has happened is is I knew I've got to water these trees so last summer I watered and I watered and I watered 
And then one of the trees basically <laughs> took all of the nutrients from the water for, the, the, for itself. It was selfish. Okay, so this one tree is dying. This one tree is thriving. And I'm like, all this work for one tree. I guess that's not that bad. But I, was, I looked it up and it was like, well, if the, it's too dry, you need to water it so that it'll grow. And so I water and water and water and water. And this summer, I have two thriving growing trees in my yard. Yes. But now you would come and you would have the question, why are they so close together? And my husband would tell you that they like each other. And that is why they are close together. And that's all that matters is that they are thriving. But this is the same in our faith. If the seed of faith gets too dried out, there is death to our faith. There is a tree that will not produce any fruit. But then when we water that seed of faith, it's not just the first day we get saved. It's the second day, the third day, the 10th year, the 20th year, because this is a faith journey. And if you don't water that seed of faith, that seed of faith will die. And so I want you to know that today, that the word of God that's going forth is watering the seed. And I want you to know that when you read your Bible in your quiet time at your home, you're watering the seed. When you turn on the podcast, the sermon, maybe the audio Bible in your car instead of the country or the R&B, you're watering the seed of faith that's going to strengthen you to stand the test of time. We've had storms, we've had rain, and those two trees are still standing. We have had tornado-like winds, and those two trees are still standing. Why? Because the seed was watered. So our faith grows when we believe the word of God. And our main thought today is we need to choose to activate our faith. In the first sermon Pastor Stephen preached in this sermon series was that we want to understand what matters. The second was we want to agree to receive. And today we're going to talk about choosing to activate that faith. James 2, 18 through 19. Let's turn to there and let's jump into the word. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, we're going to unpack another faith story this morning of a man named Jairus. And I do want you to know that this man teaches us multiple things about responding in faith. And so one of the things that I want to point out is the fact that this scripture in James tells us that even demons believe. And there are some people in this room that you would say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I even believe in Jesus. But is that enough to have strong faith? No, in James, it's telling us that that faith must be watered. It must be grown, but it has to go from our head to our heart, to our feet. There has to be a response to the growing seed of faith inside of us for us to be differentiated from just the the devil believes in God. But there is a power when our faith goes from our head to our heart to our feet. And we see that tree growing strong, producing fruit, and other people's lives are being impacted because of it. 
So today, let's talk about Jairus and his faith because it was not dead. He didn't sit at home and wait. His faith was alive in such a way that he, he started to believe who Jesus was. He started to experience the need for Jesus. And then he responded in faith in his life and he received a miracle. And so let's go into Mark 5, 21 through 43. And we're going to break this scripture down today and break it up and try to catch the things that were being taught. In verse 21, it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Okay, everybody say thronged. That's not a common word, but I'm going to just have you say it because I want you to remember it for later. So the first thing that Jairus had to do to activate his faith was to leave his excuses behind. He couldn't go to Jesus carrying excuses. He would have never left the house if he wouldn't have left some excuses. So let's think about the fact that Jairus' name is mentioned in the Gospels. And most of the miracles that we talked about, for instance, the first week we talked about the centurion, the second week we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, both of their names were not mentioned. But today we're talking about Jairus, and his name was mentioned because he was well known. Everybody knew who Jairus was because he was the ruler of the synagogue. He had authority over the people. He was well-educated, he was well-off, he had respect in the community, and he was probably on several boards. And that's probably why he got through the crowd. The crowd in this scripture was actually, historians believe, the largest crowd that Jesus had ever encountered in his ministry up to date. And they actually used the word that it was a mob, that it was like a mob. And so here Jairus, who is well known, gets to Jesus through the mob. Why? Because everybody cleared the way for Jairus. So this is an important person. So he was in the position to be the advisor, not the advised. He was in the position to meet a need, not to be needy. You know, the world often will call people who go to church and people who believe in Christ, that will, they'll say that that's just a crutch. And Jairus could have easily said that because he had his life apparently all together. He looked well put together. He didn't have a lot of problems. And if anybody would have said anything, they would have been like, that Jesus is just a crutch. On paper, he totally had it all, but he was faced with a life and death situation, and there is about to be a shift in what he believes. You know, we all need to leave the ideologies of our past. Not all ideologies that we carry are necessarily wrong, but every single one of them needs to be questioned. Every one of them needs to be challenged. We can't take our ideologies to Jesus as if we'll take Jesus and our ideology. We leave our ideology. We leave our preferences. Whether you like the worship or not like the worship. Whether you like the way the seating is arranged or whether you don't like the seating arrangement. Whether you 
we leave our preferences and our excuses to receive from Jesus. We leave our opinions because we all have many of them. What we think would be better, what we think we would like. And Jairus had to leave the opinions of others. That's the first excuse that he left. He could have easily said, I can't go to Jesus because I am a ruler of the synagogue. He was a part of the skeptics and the cynics. He was a part of the crowd that had disdained Jesus and resisted his ministry because he didn't fit into the mold. And so here Jairus is, he's the ruler of the synagogue, y'all. That means that was his job. And he left the opinions of others knowing that he may risk the ability to provide a living for his family in the future. That's how desperate he was, and that's how the seed of faith produced action in his life. He said, no matter the cost, I'm going to go to Jesus. It changed everything about his life. That one decision to leave his excuses and go to Jesus made a public announcement to the world of where he stood and what he believed and who he believed Jesus was. All of us will have that moment in our life. Who is Jesus? You know, it's easy for us to say, well, who is Jesus to you? But I want to tell you that he cannot be shifted. He doesn't get defined by us. We either determine to say that he is my God and he has authority in my life or he has no authority in my life. And so Jairus was saying more than, okay, this man who just seems like another man. The Jews were used to prophets. The Jews had heard about prophets who lived and who died. And here Jesus came in and Jairus' decision to leave his excuses was a statement to say, Jesus is more than a man. And see, Jairus didn't just leave his excuses and his, his opinions of others. He left the excuse of the wrong mindset. It's so easy for us to stay ruminating Ruminating our thoughts of self-pity, of guilt, of regret. And Jairus wasn't focused on what he should have done already. Because I would think in my head, he was probably thinking, if I would have only come to Jesus earlier. I would have, if I would have not thought about what other people thought before now. He's coming at the brink of his daughter's death, saying she's on her deathbed, the, the last bit of her illness, and now I'm coming to you. And I can imagine her, him thinking, did I come too late? But he left that excuse, that guilt, that shame. I know he probably felt overwhelmed. I know he probably felt completely like his life had turned unfair. If he was a ruler of the synagogue, that means he did believe in God and he ha was living a life helping people follow God. Can you imagine the feeling of, wait a minute, I've helped people follow God, I've been trying to follow God, and then all of a sudden this very unfair thing happens. And so instead of sitting in that, he says, I'm going to leave those mindsets because I do feel the self-pity, I do feel the guilt, I do feel the shame. And I do have regrets, but I'm not going to let that hold me back from going to Jesus. I am going to go to Jesus because he's more than a man. He's the only one that can save me and my situation. 
And so the next thing he would, would have had to leave that we also have to leave is that Jairus had to leave any coping mechanisms. You know what? He would have been fully justified to cope. Nobody would have judged him if he drank his sorrows away. Nobody would have judged him if he smoked a little bit to turn his lows to highs. Nobody would have judged him if he would have thrown himself into work to try to forget everything that was happening. Nobody would have judged him if he took a long nap and didn't get out of bed, hoping that he could just numb it all out. But yet he chose to not sit there and cope with the bad news and the inevitable future that he couldn't predict or control. And he left those excuses and he went to Jesus anyways. And all of us will face hard times. We will all face crisis in our life. We will all be impacted by this fallen world we live in. Will we succumb to it? Or will we go to Jesus? You know, I just want you to know that there's no one that receives anything from Jesus without faith. And that means there's nobody that receives anything with Jesus, from Jesus, if we don't leave those excuses that keep us from believing. And I believe that the word salvation in this text and in the rest of the gospels, it was actually a word called sozo. And it actually meant more than just saving your life. It, made salva- it meant salvation. It meant healing. It meant deliverance. It meant wholeness. And that was the understanding of the Jewish people at that time when they knew Jesus saved or Jesus said he came to save. They knew that he meant that he came to change their whole entire life. And so we can't receive that type of wholeness, that type of salvation apart from leaving our excuses. And the second thing that Jairus did is he surrendered it all. He surrendered it all. He fell at the feet of Jesus. And this is similar to the story we talked about last week. The woman with the issue of blood also fell at the feet of Jesus. And I think it's so important to know that if you're in a situation that you think, you know what, 10 years ago I fell at the feet of Jesus. Or maybe you're sitting in the room and you have been in church in the seat for seven years, 10 years, 15 years, and you thought, I've never actually fallen at the the feet of Jesus. It's never too late to fall at the feet of Jesus and surrender it all. And we, anybody who has lived their faith walk, they will tell you that they've had to do that over and over and over again. One of the reasons is, is because if he came to bring wholeness, I'm surrendering it all to him in my finances. I'm surrendering it all to him in my relationships. I'm surrendering it all to him in my personal, spiritual health and, and relationship with him. I'm surrendering it all to him. You just name it, your job, your direction, your kids. Because it never, there's another area to surrender it all to him. Neither scenario was supposed to be. So you have a 12-year-old little girl who is dying. That's not supposed to happen. 12-year-old girls are not supposed to die. 
Then you have the woman with the issue of blood. And the reason why I'm mentioning her multiple times is because she's actually in a part of this story. She interrupts them. She was not supposed to bleed continuously for 12 years. Both of them were in a situation where they could have held on to what was supposed to be or what wasn't supposed to be. But instead of holding on to that, they released that and surrendered it all. And that wasn't them begging. It was them coming to Jesus in faith through surrender. That there was nothing that they could do anymore and they had to have Jesus. There was no way back. You know, Jairus came to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. But what his actions communicated is that he actually wouldn't be able to go back the same. He was, he was never going to be able to go back and be who he was before. He made a public declaration of his belief in Jesus as not just a man, but as his savior. He had no more time to waste in doubt and unbelief. He had no more time to try to save his daughter. He had no more resources. He had no more friends or religion that could help him. Because he was religious. Let me ask you something. Is there anyone in your life that does not know that you have left your excuses, you have surrendered your life, and that Jesus is who he is, that he is God in your life, that he is in charge of your life? Because Jairus literally made a public declaration of his faith in this moment. And I think about my life and your life, and I wonder, is there anybody in our life that may have never heard our story? You know, it's, oh, oh, they know I'm a Christian. They know where I go to church. And that's important, and that's good. But do they know that you have a relationship with Jesus? Do they know that you've tried everything else and nothing worked, and that Jesus changed everything? Do they know, maybe they know that you're saved, Do they know the last thing that Jesus did in your life? The last thing you left excuses for? The last thing that you surrendered it all for? When's the last time you took an opportunity in a conversation to intentionally share with someone else what Jesus has done in your life? Do your social media followers know who you serve? Does your husband know your story and what God's been doing in your life? Do your kids know what you used to be like? And how their life is so different because of the choices and the things that God's done in your life. I specifically remember when my dad and my mom told me their stories of coming to Jesus and what their life was like apart from Jesus. My story is totally different because my dad and my mom chose to serve Jesus before I was born. And so my life is different, but I wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known how God intervened in my story before I was born if my parents would never have shared with me their true story. They weren't afraid that it was too heavy for me. They weren't afraid that maybe I would think differently about them. They shared their story because they understood that it was more about Jesus than it was about them anyways. And it was about me catching a hold of that relationship that they had with God so that I then would not have to experience some of the same heartache that led them to God. You know, the next thing would be is we got to remain close even when it's hard. 
Jairus and Jesus were, they were walking together now. He had left his excuses. He surrendered it all. This is good news. We're headed to Jairus's house. Jesus is coming to help. And there was a glimpse of hope. But then there was pressing interruptions and a crowd that was resisting them. It was a hard situation when Jairus came to Jesus and it got harder. It did not get easier to get to Jairus's house. The word thronged in the Greek literally means the mob that was with them felt like the mob was crushing Jesus as they walked. This was not a normal walk in the park. This is not Jairus and Jesus holding hands and skipping down the lane to his house. This was an active move forward, a push forward to get to Jairus' daughter. And I know for me, how do, how do we respond to the crushing in our life? Because I, I would think that multiple people in this room have experienced that, where it feels like everything is coming down around them and they feel pressed, trapped, crushed. And not to make light of the situation, but, you know, I, I can imagine because about a year ago, I was on a plane with my husband back from Florida. And, you know, I was thinking of the fact that I've not really struggled flying in my past. And I actually, when I was a teenager, I loved the thought of traveling the world and wanted to explore and do missions. And so when I was 17, I went to the Philippines. And when I was 18, I went to the Poland. And I wanted to see the world. And I didn't have any hesitation about planes. And I, those were really, really, really long plane rides. And so here I am, at that point, I'm like 39 years old last year, 39 or 40 years old last year, and uh, things have changed. <laughs> I can no longer ride as many roller coasters as I used to, okay? And so here I am on this small plane getting home, and uh, I, because we're cheap, we're in the back of the plane in the very last seat in the corner and with no window in the smallest seat on the plane, <laughs> And as silly as that seems, and as no big of deal that would have been when I was 18, when I was 40, that really became a much bigger deal than I had anticipated. Okay, so basically my temperature starts rising. I get I start getting short, shortness of breath. I begin to panic in my mind. I begin to run through scenarios of what's about to happen. Either I'm going to escape and run out of this plane ripping layers of clothing off to get out of this panic because it was so hot and I didn't think I could breathe and I was feeling like I was going to explode. And, and then I was like, okay, that's too unrealistic. Katie, get yourself back together. Control yourself. You can't do that. And so I'm like, okay, well then I will just move to Florida and I'll just get off the plane and my kids can just meet me here. Like we could just not go home. I was thinking, okay, no, that seems a little extreme too. So, okay, I get it. We can get off the plane. I will get a rental car and I will drive 18 hours home. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking of these scenarios that are going to solve this problem of the pressing, the crushing, the part that I don't feel like I can actually get through. 
And I told Stephen, I was like, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. And he gives me his headphones. He puts on instrumental worship. I'm like, okay, praying. I'm closing my eyes. And then, of course, the stewardess comes, you know, and tells you, you know, you want a snack? And I'm like, heck to the no, I don't want any snacks. I just want to be able to get through and get home. And nobody talk to me. Nobody interrupt me. Let me just pretend like I am somewhere else other than this plane so I can get home. And, you know, I felt like I was being crushed, but I looked over to Stephen. And I wasn't alone. And I knew I could get through this. And I think of Jairus and how easy it was for him to feel like he was alone in the crowd and the crushing. But Jesus was in the crowd and the crushing too, urgently going to the house of Jairus to rescue his daughter. He wasn't alone. He may have even been separated by a person or two, but he remained close. And he got through the pressing to get to the other side. But in the midst of that pressing, guess what happened? There was an interruption. And the the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus and pressed through the crowd to get her healing. And I think those are the times that we're sometimes challenged the most in the delay, in the waiting. But I want to go to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. It says, but we have the treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, everybody say power, belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In other words, we're always carrying the seed of faith. And with some water, it can live and bear much fruit. And so we can know in our assurance, in faith, whether we can see it or not, that we will not be crushed. We will not be driven to despair. We will not be forsaken. We will not be struck down. We will not be destroyed. And we will carry this seed of faith for others to be able to experience the same Jesus that we left our excuses for and that we've surrendered it all for. You know, as the story continues, have you ever been in a season of struggle where someone interrupts your praying to Jesus where you felt like your problem was the most important thing and you hear a story of someone that their thing didn't seem to be as important as yours and all of a sudden their prayer gets answered and those stories they're supposed to strengthen our faith but sometimes they discourage our faith and I'm just going to tell you that The woman with the issue of blood, actually, it never says she was on the brink of death. No, it was a difficult situation, and it sounded horrible. But it didn't seem like the same as Jairus' daughter, whom was about to die. And Jesus stops to heal the woman with the issue of blood. And Jairus then got to make another decision, whether he was going to believe again or not. Was he going to allow her miracle to strengthen his faith? Was he going to allow her miracle that she got to receive to say, if Jesus can do it for her, he can do it for me? 
Because this is all happening while his friend comes and tells him, hey, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has died. And so in this delay and in the waiting and in the interruption, the thing that he needed more seemed hopeless. Like the tree that I planted, it's, it looked like there was no way that it was going to grow. But I kept watering it. And Jairus had another decision to make in that moment. After he had done all that other stuff, he'd left the excuses. He'd surrendered it all. He walked with Jesus and went through the pressing. And all of a sudden, he had to decide again if his faith was going to stay in infancy or if it was going to go to maturity. And that means that he was going to follow Jesus regardless of what the outcome was. But he also believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus' power truly belonged to him. Let's go to Mark 5, 35 through 43, and then we'll continue some of the things that we're learning from Jairus' life. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Basically, his friend is saying, what's the point, Jairus? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And I want to encourage someone in this room today, if you're thinking I've heard bad news and I don't know if Jesus has heard it, I don't know if Jesus knows about the extent of what I'm going through. Can I just tell you that Jesus overheard that doctor's report? Jesus overheard the fight you just had with your spouse that feels very life-ending. Jesus hears, and what he does is he doesn't just hear and say silent. He hears, and he speaks, and he guides us. And he says, do not fear, only believe, Jairus. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kami, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them not that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I believe he told them to, you know, keep it to themselves for right now for that reason of the fact that I said earlier. He didn't want to make the miracle and their story, what everybody paid attention to, more so than who he was and the message he was bringing. And so when we share our story and when we share our miracles and when we share the hardships we've faced, let's make sure that we're bringing Jesus glory. Let's make sure that we're telling the story for him, not just for someone to hear what we have been through. So number four, Jairus had to be resolved when the report was bad. And so will we. See, he's, here he has his friend saying, what's the point, Jairus? You left all your excuses. You left, you surrendered it all. You just proclaimed to everybody that you're going to believe Jesus is God. And now you may lose your job. And now you just lost your daughter. What have you done? You've ruined your life. 
What's the point of all of this? The moment is over to that friend. That friend believes it's too late. And nothing at this point can happen when, according to that friend's belief. Now we have, the, here's the friend saying, hey, Jairus, let's get back together. You have a funeral plan. You have some mourning to do. You have some people to host at your home. We have, you know, okay, let's move forward. That's what his friend is basically saying. See, Jairus in that decision, when Jesus said, don't fear, only believe, he made that decision and his faith went from infancy to mature. When the circumstances got worse, his faith at that moment went stronger than it was when he left it all and surrendered it all. So those in this room, your first moment may not be the same way your second moment looks like. Your first moment to Jesus may have just been for what he could do for you. But your multitude of moments, there's going to be a moment where you come to the grips with the fact that do I say he is who he says he is even when it doesn't look like there's any point. Now Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so this is the moment that Jairus put his feet to his faith. This wasn't a one-off moment for him. It was a life-changing moment for him. It was a generational breaking moment for him. The next generation, the second generation, the third generation for Jairus was all going to be different because of this moment. And here Jesus says, don't be afraid, believe again, as if he was saying, it's gonna be worth it all. And you know what? I don't know about you if you've gone to Disney World, those mamas in the room that have taken their kids to Disney World. I took my kids when they were a little older. They were able to be rationalized with. Uh, we were all on the same page. We knew we were going to walk a lot. We were going to do a lot. It was going to be tiring, but we're doing all of this and it's cost a lot of money and we're all in. And I was at Disney World with my kids uh, a couple years ago, and I remember seeing these moms with young children in, you know, just the sidewalk, in the rides of the lines, going from place to place, and their children are having a true meltdown because they're exhausted, they're tired, they don't want to go any further, they don't want to walk anymore, they're begging their parents to take them back to the hotel, they don't want to be there anymore, and the parents are coaching them up, being like, come on, we're going to see Elsa, it's worth it, come on, we're going to see Mickey, it's worth it, because after all, when you're 30 and you see this picture, you're going to be talking about how great your parents were for taking you to Disney World, and so you see these moments at Disney World regularly. These mamas coaching their kids, it's going to be worth it. Keep going. And that's exactly what it seems like Jesus is doing to Jairus in this moment. He's coaching them up. Like it's going to be worth it. These feelings you feel, it's going to be worth it. Everything you have sacrificed, everything you've given up, everything you fought, it's going to be worth it. And number five, we got to listen to the voice of the Lord. You know, he hadn't come that far to stop listening. So he enters into the house, and then there was wailing, and there was mourning, and there was professional mourners that had come that they had hired 
That was the customary tradition. They hired people to cry and make a lot of noise so that people would feel like they could grieve and that nobody would pay attention to them grieving and embarrass them because they had hired a whole bunch of people to act crazy so that nobody would pay attention to them. And so there's clapping and there's drumming and there's singing and there's wailing. This is all happening at Jairus' house when they get there. Okay, so here the other voices were so loud compared to Jesus's. And we will also face voices that are very loud. Voices of doubt, voices of indecision, voices of lies, voices of our past. And at some point, we have to decide, I may not be able to get rid of all these voices, but whose voice am I going to listen to in the midst of it? So he put them out of the room, but they were still at the house. It didn't mean he was able to omit every loud voice in his life and he was problem free after that and he could just believe in faith because everybody had left. No, they were still there. And I, I, I mean, I don't know if the walls were thin or thick, but he could still hear them. And you may have even distanced yourself from some of the loud voices that you have been in your life. And you may be in this room thinking, but I can still hear them. And I want to remind you that you don't have to agree to those voices. You don't have to believe those voices. You don't have to partner with those voices. You don't, you can listen to Jesus and say, Jesus, now what? You told me in the pressing when it looked hopeless to not be afraid and to believe again. So now what, Jesus? So he tells the people, he says, what's this big commotion? She's not asleep. I mean, she's not dead. She's asleep. And of course, the people are laughing at him like Jesus has lost his mind. He doesn't understand reality. He was a, they were realists. And I just want you to know that the devil is laughing at you while you believe. And he wants you to rationalize your doubts like they are true. He wants you to believe the lie. He wants you to doubt if God loves you. He doesn't want you to believe that God has a plan for your life. He doesn't want to believe that God can come in and do a miracle in whatever situation that you're facing. He doesn't want you to believe the word of God that will strengthen your faith to believe and to receive. And I want you to know today in the midst of all of the doubts and in the midst of all of the other voices, they will either lead you away from Jesus or they will push you to take your doubts and your concerns and the lies to Jesus so he can truly do something with those things and transform the way we think and to transform the way we live and to transform the way we do everything because we can take all those things to Jesus. We're not carrying that without him. He is sovereign. He is victorious. He is working. He hears you. He's moving. He's not wondering what to do. This broken world will inevitably impact our life, probably more than once. But I want to remind you that the scripture actually tells us that we don't mourn like the world mourns. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn. It just means that it's different. We don't believe only if we get our prayers answered. It's never too late and it's never too hard and it's never too much. Jesus can come in regardless of what the friends have declared, what the enemy has declared, what the facts have declared. He can still make it worth it 
and who he is is still worth following even when we don't understand how he's going to do it and what he's doing. You know, one of the things that I love about this story is that Jairus' real need was not only that his daughter's life be saved. It was his own spiritual condition. He had been living his life holding on to religion, not knowing that there was a relationship available to him. He was holding on to what he could do and what he could not do and what he did do and what he did not do. And he was following a list of rules, a list of regulations. He was surrounding himself with a whole bunch of life-sucking people, not life-giving people. And here he comes face to face with the fact that, yes, I want my daughter to live, but I realize that my spiritual condition is dead and I need Jesus to give me life. And I believe today some people have been settling for the surface. You've been settling for the surface, the thing that you see that you need, and Jesus is coming and saying, hey, go deeper. Go deeper. It doesn't mean I don't care about the surface. It doesn't mean that I don't care about that prayer you've been asking for. It means I want you to go deeper, and I want your faith to go from infancy to maturity. In John 16, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as we do close, I do want to ask us, who is Jesus? Because if he's just another man, none of this matters. And you can keep on figuring out your life on your own. You can keep on trying to hold it all together. You can try to keep on figuring it out through Google searches and self-help and, and programs. Or today, you can either for the first time or for the hundredth time say, no, 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 no. No matter how voice, how loud the voices are, Jesus is God. And the same Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of me. And so that means that I can overcome the thing that I'm facing. I am not helpless. I am not crushed. I am not abandoned. So I do want to give each and every one of us an opportunity to make that public decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And, and what that means is the fact that you're willing to say in front of all these people, I want to make Jesus in charge of my life. And when I make this decision, this surrender is for every part of it. And I think some of you may be in this room and think, you know what, I've been waiting for this breakthrough or I'm wondering what's going on. Why can't I get my breakthrough? And I do believe the Lord is saying, hey, you surrendered this part and this part and this part. Now today, surrender this next part. It's okay that you feel like you're on a journey because we're all, we all are. But the goal is to strengthen our faith in such a way that the people around us know that everything has changed. And so if you want to make Jesus in charge of your life today, publicly, right now is that time. And if that is you, I want you to raise your hand right now if you want to make Jesus in charge of your life. Okay, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray all of this together. Lord, I thank you 
for changing my whole life. I leave all of my excuses. I don't have it all together. Be in charge of every part from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray over all of us. I am going to have the altar team available at the front because I do want to remind you that if you're in this room and the Holy Spirit has been drawing you, I want you to have the opportunity to do what Jairus did. And Jairus came to the feet of Jesus. And now, no, we're not saying any of these altar people are Jesus, but they have Jesus. And sometimes we have to take our faith from our head to our heart to our feet. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.